Welcome along to the Drop the Label podcast. I'm your host, Sarah. Labels are all around us. We use them freely and often without thought. This podcast is an exploration of various labels discussed with various guests from different perspectives. We want to get people thinking about labels in their simplest form so that they adopt those that serve their higher self and drop those labels that hold them back in life. Thank you for listening. Will you drop the label? This podcast is brought to you by RT Fitness Durham and Sunderland, home of Team Carnage and the Barbell Club. We are the North East's premier transformation facility, taking you from absolute beginner to photoshoot ready. You just got to do the work. Check us out on Instagram and Facebook at the Barbell Club or RT Fitness Durham and Sunderland or over on our website, www.rtfitness.uk. On today's episode, I'm talking with Nikki Dodds, who walked through our RT Fitness doors two and a half years ago. We discussed labels and stereotypes associated with sport alongside personal choices and identity surrounding food addiction and weight. We delved into the choices made not to necessarily change a label, but to overcome it and the difficulty in doing so, but most importantly, the benefits of it. Without further ado, here it is, episode four. Enjoy. Hello, welcome along to the Drop the Label podcast. Today, I have the lovely Nikki Dodds with me. Um, basically to discuss any labels that she feels quite strongly about or has identified with either now or in the past. Nikki, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, yeah, um, Nikki, obviously. I joined RT Fitness nearly two and a half years ago now. Um, and, you know, weight is something that has dominated my whole adult life. Until this past year, I've been overweight my whole life. So... I guess labels to do with weight and appearance are something that I do feel very strongly about and relate quite a lot to, I would say. Okay. Is there any any particular label? Um, I mean, obviously, you, you mentioned there about weight and, and how it's had quite a, a significant um, part in your life. Is there a particular label that stands out to you as, as one that, you know, either has sort of been a massive part of who you are and and what kind of decisions you've made oh definitely I mean I was a rugby player for a lot of years from sort of 18 to 30-ish I was a rugby player and you know the stereotypes that go with women's rugby especially of um you know the butch aggressive people that's not my personality but I played it rugby is a prop forward which again if you were to google stereotypes of prop forwards they're the biggest people on the pitch they're the biggest beer drinkers that eat the most food and you know for me that gave me an excuse to lead the lifestyle I did for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. So I mean obviously anyone listening to it won't won't be able to say obviously what I've got in front of me now no. um, but anyone who, who watches the podcast uh, via YouTube will, will be watching thinking way. She's not big. She doesn't look aggressive. <laughs> so, I mean, if you want to sort of um, tell us a bit about, you know, where you were at that point when you were that prop forward. Prop forward? Yes, Did I get that prop, right? Prop, prop yeah. Forward. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as I say, looking back now, because I've done quite a bit of reflection recently, which is a good thing. It's not, not a bad thing at all. Um, you know, I realised it was probably got into a chicken and an egg situation of, because I was a naturally bigger built person at that time. That was the position I took up when I started playing contact rugby. And the more I played that position, the more I probably then took on the characteristics that were expected of that person to be, Mm -hmm. you know, the nature of the role 
you do a lot of pushing in scrums, you lift people up. You've got to be a bigger person and got to be strong to do it. But equally, I then used that label to choose to make some of the life choices I did. And I would happily go out and drink six, seven pints after a rugby match because that's what props do. Right. I made food decisions, you know, I could go out and eat what I wanted because I was a big person and that's what that was my role in the team and that's what I did and I did it very well both <laughs> being a proper and, and the, the food and food <laughs> side of things and I think I used to justify it because my teammates would do the same but at the time I was playing rugby for both my club side and university and yes all my Sunday teammates were doing it on a Sunday and all my Wednesday rugby teammates were doing it on a Wednesday but I was doing it twice a week mm -hmm. I was drinking you know six seven eight pints after every rugby match and well food wise I'd have to have a big lunch before the match because I was going to play rugby so I need the energy and say so then you know six seven eight pints afterwards plus food plus probably then a takeaway on the way home because I had beer munchies afterwards but all of that felt acceptable because that's what you know that's the nature of the position I played. I was a big person, so mm -hmm. that was fine. And probably complete denial of really how many calories a rugby match would burn off. That, you know, looking back now, I cringe at some of the things <laughs> I did and justified to myself. Because, mm -hmm. you know, the rugby match itself wouldn't have even burned off the beer calories, let alone everything else I had. Yeah. I mean, I know we've ha we've had conversations about, you know, the eating, eating decisions that you made in the past and things around your rugby and I always liked the um, the lucky pasty story. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I wanted to have a cheese pasty every time before a match. I decided it was lucky to eat one. And, you know, again, <laughs> I cringe saying it sometimes and I look back and think, how could I have thought that? But in the moment, it seemed a reasonable mm -hmm. thing to do. I mean, I'm not even really a superstitious person or anything like that. And you just think, yeah, it, it was a choice I wanted to make and mm -hmm. I made it easier to make by saying, well, it's acceptable to do that because I am the biggest person on the team and that's, that's my role and mm -hmm. it's, it wasn't really. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you mentioned there how it was two days a week that you would be doing that mm. on the Wednesday and then the weekend. Mm. How did um, that, like, you identifying as that person affect the rest of the week? Like, did the rest of the week look similar or maybe it's not the beers, but... Um, yeah, but I think because on those days I ate badly and drank a lot, it became sort of, I would class myself as an addict to food. Right. And I think that just played out on the rest of the week as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I'd have something, I wouldn't be satisfied, I'd have something else. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'd eat stuff without even realising I'd done it, so I probably couldn't even sort of sit and say, some of the things I used to do because I don't necessarily really remember doing it. I just, mm -hmm. you know, from one meal to the next, as soon as I finished one thing, I'd be thinking about what I would have next. Right. And like exercise and sport would be a distraction from doing that. But yeah, you know, I've, I've heard people say, oh, I can't stop eating. And others say, well, just stop, don't have it. Mm -hmm. But I get that sometimes. You don't even want it, but there's just something in you makes you want to eat something else yeah and once you've eaten it you're like I didn't even enjoy that mm -hmm. but what can I have next yeah that's quite a strong one to obviously going off labels addicts quite a quite yeah. a, a big label and it covers 
and a wide range of things that mm. people can be addicted to. But I think an addiction to food is something that people don't necessarily think of very much, is it? No, and I say it's probably not something I would have ever thought about at the time and probably not something I would have even admitted to until fairly recently of that actually that is part of my personality. Mm -hmm. And I think this time around, rather than trying to be somebody I'm not, I've accepted that about myself and I've worked with it to be successful and not think I shouldn't have three meals and three snacks a day like I do. Mm -hmm. I need to do that to keep in control. Yeah. So I've worked out how to do it and not, not try to break who I am. Yeah. So how, how have you worked with that then? Like, you know, where you're saying, you, you know, you are working with it now and you've accepted that that, that is a, a part of who you are. At what point did you realise that you were identifying as that person and, and work with it to overcome the negative impacts of that? Um, I think probably initially was a few years ago. Cause this is the third time now in my life I've lost a significant amount of weight. It's the first time, as I say, I've actually stayed to where I've got to and actually get to a healthy weight to start with. Um, as I, say, I think probably four or five years ago when I've lost weight the last time, I started to understand myself more then and realise it was my relationship with food that mm -hmm. was causing my weight problems really mm -hmm. but again I, I still I don't think I'd fully adapted to being me still I was I worked with a personal trainer and she probably gave me a more structured meal plan and ideas of what I should do and I stuck to it because that's what she told me to do mm -hmm. but it, I never fully adapted it as a lifestyle right and it's only this time that as I now I've done it for a third time that I think, why did I keep going wrong? Where, why did I keep going back over? And it was because I was still trying to do things that just weren't natural to me. Mm -hmm. And again, I suppose it's labels. You think, oh, to be healthy and lose weight, I should eat salad, for example. Right, yeah. And I don't like salad. I've never liked salad. Mm -hmm. I don't enjoy salad. I don't look forward to having a salad. So <laughs> it's not, it's, I've not gone down that route this time. Yeah. I've looked at myself and what I do like and, you know, what foods satisfy me and found ways to adapt them to mm -hmm. fit what I needed to fit. Yeah. And not try to go the other way and make things fit that I don't like or want. Mm -hmm. I think that's a massive part of people's problems sometimes when they are trying to overcome a label. And I mean, obviously, we're talking specifically about, you know, being addicted to food and, and mm -hmm. wanting to lose weight they sort of set themselves up for failure, in a sense, that they think that there's a label there, the healthy person, mm. they eat salads, you know, chicken, mm. they eat rice, they eat veg, mm. they eat fruit, they don't ever have chocolate, they don't ever have crisps, they don't drink, they're training seven days a week, mm. they're doing X, Y, and Z, and they sort of think that to be a healthy person those are all the things that they need to put in place to be that. And then when, the f when they can't do a certain thing, they see themselves as a failure, so they go back to old habits. Um, I mean, I don't like veg. I absolutely mm. hate veg. Mm. I went through a phase when uh, me and Ross got together of eating broccoli. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that 
mentally was um, because I thought it would impress Ross. <laughs> um, PT, you know, he, he's going to, he's, he's not going to want a, a, an unhealthy girlfriend, yeah. obviously now wife. Um, so I had to demonstrate that I was a healthy person and, and eating chicken and broccoli was me trying to prove that I was some sort of healthy person, um, which is completely backwards. He knows now that sort of, I just gag whenever broccoli comes near us, to be fair. Um, but it is, it's, it's people will put these things in place because of a label that they see as being X, Y and Z. Mm. But actually it's not about that. It's, it's about what works for you on an individual level, which obviously now you've identified. Yeah, as I say, if somebody looked at my diet, I could still be better. I could eat more fresh fruit and veg than I do, but equally, I'm in such a much better place than I've ever been that, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy with what I do. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I'm, over time, I still tweak things and make some changes, but I know now I've got a basic diet of stuff I like to eat yeah. that keeps me on track. Yeah. I can adjust around what I do. I can still have a life, but fundamentally I've got a set structure that I go back to mm -hmm. time and time again, and it keeps me where I'm at. Mm -hmm. And I've never, I've never had that before because I tried to do things that weren't natural. Mm -hmm. So you're obviously in a much more positive place now from, oh. from, from that. Absolutely. I suppose that's a good, good indication of the fact that actually, even though the, there's negative labels that we try to move mm. away from, and we try to move closer to more positive labels, sometimes the positive labels can hold us back as well. Yeah. Which I've never actually considered until then. Mm. Because I suppose with some positive labels you put Put it on a pedestal might be the wrong word, but you do, you, you sort of see it as such a positive that you have to do all of these things to be that. And if you're not, then you're falling short. But actually, yeah. you as are I doing say, well. Probably a couple of months ago, I had a bit of a moment because, you know, people saying, oh, you're inspirational, you're a legend, you're amazing, you've done so well. And I had a, a bit of a spell where I was like, what if I can't live up to that? You know, I've gone back over this, you know, twice before I've, let things slip. Mm -hmm. What if I can't be the person people now think I am? Mm -hmm. You know, people look at me and like, oh, you know, you must feel like a different person. And physically, yes, I am a massively different person to the person who walked in the door two and a half years ago. But inside, I'm still exactly the same person. Mm -hmm. I make different choices now and I've accepted myself and work with myself, but everything else about me still exactly the same as it was. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing, it's, it's, more, it's more about you living up to who you are. It's not about other people yeah, and what other exactly. people say. And as I say, it was just a, a brief spell. I was a bit like, wow, I, I don't see myself as that person mm -hmm. and others do. And like, what, what if I let them all down? <laughs> but you know, it, it's a ridiculous thing because you can't, but yeah, I was a bit like, in my eyes, all I did was come and follow the program I was told to follow. Mm -hmm. But the more I've talked to people recently, people are like, yeah, we all, we all know how we should lose weight, but you've actually lived it and done it. Mm -hmm. And that's what the inspirational bit is. It's not, you know, it's not a pressure on me, actually, when I sat back and thought about yeah. it. It's, I've just shown what determination and work does achieve, and yeah. I chose to do it. 
and I made those changes. And mm -hmm. you know, if that does inspire other people and help other people, then I, I've got my head back around that. Yeah. I'm, cool, <laughs> I'm cool with that again now. But Good. So there was a, a patch where I was just like, wow. <laughs> so maybe maybe a bit of imposter syndrome going on there. Yeah, because as I say, to me, I'm still exactly the same person. All I've, all I've done is fo followed the rules and changed my thinking of mm -hmm. what I was doing because essentially I'd made the choices that made me put the weight back on in the first place and now I've just changed my choices to lose it again so mm -hmm. but I guess we're all generally our own harshest critics and we don't see in ourselves what other people probably do see in us. So. Oh definitely I mean I'm I'm one of the people I've other than other than the fact that you're my pen friend because <laughs> we've got to know each other quite well through through messaging each other through mm. lockdowns and yeah. things like that um I've always called you a legend because <laughs> you are I do think you're an absolute legend um but one of the things for me was how the reason why was because I feel like you've overcome a lot and it hasn't just been, you know, the, the food side or, or addiction to food or anything like that. It, it's been more, you've sort of faced adversity, you know, with with your, your health concerns and things like that as well. Yeah. I mean, are you happy to share to share that, that element um, yeah, of, of, of overcoming that? I mean, obviously yeah. you can tell people what, what it actually is because <laughs> I haven't a clue um, yeah. how it works. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's, it's another form of label as well that we, I know we've discussed it, that healthcare professionals have probably now got the experience of being labelled both for being overweight and then because I'm a normal weight, being treated differently. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I was diagnosed with a condition called idiopathic intracranial hypertension, or IIH as it's known for sure. <laughs> and it... It is very strongly linked with overweight females of childbearing age. Right. But equally, the term idiopathic means no known cause. So it's right. a contradiction in itself that the same there's no known cause, but most healthcare professionals blame weight for, right. for the condition. So obviously, when I was diagnosed, I was quite, quite overweight at the time. And then over the years, I put on more weight. Um, Effectively, the pressure in the fluid around my brain gets too high, so I've got a surgical shunt in place which sits in my spine and drains into my abdomen. And when the pressure gets too high, it drains off some fluid. Mm -hmm. When it's not working, I get severe headaches. I was in danger of losing my eyesight at one point, which was why they put the shunt in in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a lot of problems when they first put the shunt in. I had five operations in six years, which, again impacted my health massively on two fronts, one, the actual surgery, and it worked for about six months, then would break, and I'd have to wait to see the surgeon and get an appointment for surgery. So, you know, every six months, I was essentially not really able to do much. Mm -hmm. But again, probably often jumped on the, on the bandwagon of, oh, well, I don't feel well, I can't do anything. I'll just lie on the sofa and eat to mm -hmm. make myself feel better. Mm -hmm. And then I got, it was after the lap, like one of the operations, I made a concerted effort to lose weight. And that's when I worked with a personal trainer and you know, I got down to, I think I got down to about 12 stone at the time, which was the lightest I'd ever been mm -hmm. at that point in my adult life. 
and I didn't have any problems at all with my shunt for another seven years. Wow. So I had a new lease of life as such. Mm -hmm. And then last year, I started to have problems again, yeah. which to me massively felt like it was my shunt causing the problems. And had I still been the weight I had been previously, that would have been the first place the healthcare professionals would have gone as well. Mm -hmm. But because I was now a normal weight, I was told it couldn't possibly be that because yeah. I shouldn't still have the condition. Yeah. So I was told I had migraines and you know, spent a year trying medication that I knew wasn't going to work because mm -hmm. I knew it was my shunt causing the problems. Yeah. Um, and it was only when I told the third person that there was a lump near my shunt that they finally did investigate and realised that was the problem. Yeah. And it fixed it. And since then, you know, I have felt like a new person. And mm -hmm. I think I now finally feel the benefits of all the weight I, I have lost. Last year was... I survived rather than anything else. Mm -hmm. But equally, I made different choices then yeah. still too. I didn't use it as an excuse to stop. Yeah. You know, some days it was hard. Yeah. And some days I don't know where I got the energy from yeah. to keep going. Mm -hmm. But I did and it made a massive difference. Yeah. Because I remember I was getting frustrated, like crazy frustrated, <laughs> getting these messages like, oh, well, they've put us on this tablet and they've put us on this tablet. And they've put... It's like, even from what you were saying, I'm not a medical expert, but I was thinking, that's got to be the shunt. It has to be. Yeah. From everything that you said. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's where labels can be dangerous at times. Obviously, yeah. from a medical professional point of view, if they have in their heads that, you know, you can't have a certain illness because, or, or, or be suffering because you, you're not overweight, you look like a healthy mm -hmm. person now. Mm -hmm. Then they don't necessarily look in the areas where they should be looking to, to, to put you right. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why I call you a legend. Mm -hmm. Like obviously, because, because in our line of work, we do say excuses. And if I was to ever give someone an mm -hmm. excuse, and say, yeah, you, do you know what it is? Just chill out, yeah. take it easy, don't do too much. You know, having a headache every single day for mm -hmm. that amount of time, still having mm -hmm. to work, still, you know, you were doing walking challenges as well, weren't you? <laughs> like, how yeah. many steps did you do? Oh, a lot. <laughs> Far too many to remember. <laughs> and, but you did, you just, you literally, it was just, that's... That was, you made that decision, to, you, you know, you weren't going to let it win. You weren't going to let it yeah. control I you. I think I realised that I was only able to still do what I was doing because of the weight I'd lost. If I was still sort of the weight I was when I joined you guys originally, I wouldn't have had the energy to do what I was still doing. Mm -hmm. It was only the fact that because I weighed less and I felt, other than the headache in myself, better than I had done, that I was able to continue to do those activities mm -hmm. and I, by then I'd realized that you know it had made a difference you know loads of people are like oh do you not feel so hard done to you've lost all this weight and now you feel ill and yes I did a bit but equally I realized that I would have still been in a much worse position had I not lost the weight yeah you know at the same time my mom got diagnosed with breast cancer and was getting treated for that as well so you know it Whilst I wasn't having a great time, I put into perspective that things could still be worse too. Mm -hmm. you know? 
you know, there's other things people can get diagnosed with and other problems people have too, and you can't give in. You can't. You have to say this is why I call you a legend. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very appropriate label for you. If I was to label you anything, that is the most appropriate label because you have, you've just, you've overcome so much that so many people would have let just take them off course and over, take over the life in a sense. And I would have done in the past. Yeah. You know, if, if, if we'd met each other 20, 25 years ago, we wouldn't be sitting doing this podcast because I would have made all the excuses other people make. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it's not my fault. I'm ill. I can't do anything about it. It's not my fault. I'm supposed to be big. I'm supposed to be a prop. Mm -hmm. And actually, there is always something you can do about it. Mm -hmm. You can blame other people. You can blame circumstance. But until you truly accept that your own problems yourself and how can you deal with yourself to make those changes? I think you're always going to fight a losing battle. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, coming back to, obviously, when you were diagnosed, um, IIH? Yep. I couldn't possibly remember the actual name <laughs> of it. <laughs> um, I mean, this, this is a massive assumption, but I'm assuming that you, you weren't able to do contact sport anymore. Um, initially, I did, but once they put the shunt in, then I wasn't allowed. Mm -hmm. Or they recommended I didn't play. Yeah. Certainly rugby anymore. Yeah. So obviously, as the rugby element was a massive part of your identity, mm. how did you overcome that? Like, did you feel like you'd had a part of who you were taken away from you unfairly, or or did it sort of serve you quite well? I think probably a bit of both. Initially, it was hard because rugby, as I say, was a massive part of my life. I played. From a club side, I played for the university. I played for the northeast of England at rugby, so I was pretty, pretty, pretty decent rugby player. But I think long term, it did help me break some of the cycle of sort of that label of being a rugby player. Mm -hmm. But equally, I was a goalkeeper at hockey that also have very similar stereotypes <laughs> as a prop forward in rugby, because again my size and stuff I naturally migrated to that position in hockey so again if you lined up a hockey team I'd probably dare bet 90% of the goalkeepers will be the biggest person on right. the team and again for a long time I lived in denial with that as well of like oh I've played a hockey match I can do what I want mm -hmm. where particularly in hockey some days putting my kit on was probably the most energy I burned because if the ball yeah. didn't come near me I could be standing in goal doing nothing for 70 minutes right like literally mm -hmm. sometimes I sat on the backboard of my goal doing nothing but in my head because I wanted to justify what I was doing I'd played hockey so that's fine yeah, yeah. do you feel like the, the the sporting choices that you made came off the back of you identifying as a larger person who should be in those kinds of positions in those kind of teams or was it the other way around Again, probably a bit of both. The more, I, the more I, I lived up to the characteristics of the position I played, the more that was probably the only positions at the time I could play. Cause right. I, I guess I've always been relatively fit for the size I was, but you know, in the grand scheme of fitness, I probably wasn't. You know, I, I wasn't. I couldn't have gone for like a five-mile run when I played rugby because I just couldn't have done it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. If, I guess, again, you get stuck in a cycle. 
of I was playing that position because that's the size I was and because I then wasn't tackling my weight issues it was the only place I could play because mm -hmm. I wasn't physically fit enough or you know I couldn't have gone and played outfield at hockey because I wouldn't have been able to run around for the whole match mm -hmm. so yeah it's, it, it's an interesting one that I, <laughs> and I say it's now that I sit and reflect that you know I kind of always just lived up to what I wanted it to be mm -hmm. rather than what it could have been. So obviously since this year is, is um, it has certainly hasn't been written off yet because you've gone through the recovery you've, mm. you've had your shunt um, sorted out and uh, recently you've gone back to rugby mm. Um, I know obviously you're heavily into your golf as well, um, which you can talk a little bit about. Um, what position do you play in rugby now? Now I've gone back as I'm not allowed to play contact rugby yeah. anyway, so we play touch rugby. And mm -hmm. In some ways that's good because there's not really defined positions in touch rugby. Right. Because you don't have scrums and line outs like you would in, in sort mm -hmm. of contact rugby. But equally, again, it highlighted massively how differently people look at you. When I turned up to rugby the first time, none of the girls there were people I'd played with previously. Right. So the very first night, they didn't even know I used to be a rugby player. Mm -hmm. So I turned up and trained with them. At the end of the session, they were like, you've clearly played rugby before. I was like, well, yeah, I was the captain here mm -hmm. for 10 years. So then they were like, oh, so have you always been like a scrum half? which again, back to labels and stereotypes, the scrum half is naturally the smallest person on the right. <laughs> so I've got, I'd gone from being the persona of the biggest person on the pitch to suddenly people thought I was naturally, mm -hmm. would play in the backs or as one of the smallest, like where one of the smallest people. And again, that made me sort of take a step back and think, yeah, actually I've changed so much that mm -hmm. And again, I like the, that ethos that I've now I can go and play rugby, touch rugby. I can run around with the girls, but I'm not I'm not labelled as anything. I'm just a. You just playing a, rugby. I'm just playing touch rugby, and I can because like, what position do you want to play? I was like, I'll play wherever you want me to play. Yeah. Oh well, last night at training they were like, oh well, you're quite quick. You can go on the wing. <laughs> I was like, no point ever in my life before would somebody have said, oh, you're quite quick. Go on the wing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just wouldn't have been a thing. Crazy, absolutely crazy how how just the difference in the two labels. Mm. Obviously, you've walked in quite un, unsuspecting. Everyone's <laughs> like, who's this coming in here? Not aggressive in the slightest, you know, not a big person. Um, so they've automatically sort of overlooked the fact that you've played quite high level in the past. Yeah. Crackers. So you're well into it now as well again, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely hooked me back in. But equally, you know, the knee problem I've had, which was one of the instigators for joining yourselves in the first place mm -hmm. and wanting to lose the weight, I'm conscious, you know, that's not gone away. Yeah. I've learned to be more sensible. Yeah. Again, accept I have got limits. And as much as sometimes I really want to push past them and still just do absolutely everything <laughs> all of the time that I actually have to look after myself as well. Yeah. And that I can't push myself too far to then 
sort of jeopardise being able to train and do other things. Because mm -hmm. again, in the past, I'm absolutely not very good at saying no. And if anyone asked me to do anything, I'd do everything, even if it was detrimental to myself in the end. Yeah. I've learned, I've learned to find the balance and, and do what I enjoy, but equally know when my body's just said, no, I'm, I need to stop now. Yeah. Like last week, I would desperately want to go to rugby training, but I'd played golf like five days out of six and I'd come to the gym. And when I left here, I was like, I'm physically tired. I'm just going to go home. Mm -hmm. And that was a harder decision to make than to just go and run around at rugby as well. Mm -hmm. But I knew I needed to do that to look after myself, mm -hmm. to do the right things on the days that followed. Yeah. So you've overcome another label there as well, really, if you've <laughs> always been a yes person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> always saying yes to everything. Um, you've managed to overcome that and think, actually, no, there's, there's a line there. Mm. Um, that's a quite another, another positive breakthrough, really. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. And again, thinking I had to exercise all of the time, otherwise things might, I might go back in the wrong direction. I'm like, no, you, you don't, you know, there is a limit to what you can do and should do. And, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't go crazy. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I remember when you started, you know, we did, we, we had to adjust some of the programs mm. for you. Doing the, doing the home workouts, you know, I'd see you sometimes doing, doing the same, same sort of movements um, and not, not necessarily what I was showing everyone mm. to do. And, and it was because you were looking after your knee. Mm. Um, and again, you, you were dealing with your shunt issue and your headaches and getting up and down off the floor and things like that, <laughs> all things that would add yeah. to it. Um, and you have, you, you, you literally just, you know, you did what you needed to do mm. rather than just sort of plowing on and being stubborn about it. Yeah, and again, in the past, I'd have been stubborn and like, no, I need to do whatever I'm being told to do, regardless of what impact that then had on me mm -hmm. later. Where I think sort of coming here and as you say, you can adapt things and realised you don't have to have limitations. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you can't always do exactly what you want to do, but then there is always something you can do. Yeah. It's easy to say, oh, I can't, I can't join the gym because I've got a sore knee. Mm -hmm. I can't do whatever because of whatever reason but yeah. if you truly want to do something you, you can find a way to do it yeah you just have to want to do it I feel like from having this conversation with you I've had a little bit of a thought process while you've been talking <laughs> <laughs> I feel like labels are quite extreme there's always there always seems to be extremities of labels you're mm. either all or you're nothing yeah do you know what I mean yeah. like if you're going to be a healthy person, you have to eat the salad. You have to do this. You have to do mm. a million and one steps. Mm. You have to do seven gym sessions a week. You have to, have to do everything. Yeah. Or you go back to the, um, the prior label, whether it was overweight or, you know, food addict, you know, whatever, mm. whatever side it was. And you kind of go all in on that side again. Like, well, I don't feel well. I'm going to sit here and I'm not going to do anything because I'm ill. Yeah. Or I'm going to eat that because I can, mm. because I'm destined to be big. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be big. I'm going to continue yeah. down that. There's, there's no... I think initially when people look at labels and when people start to live by labels, they, they live to the extremes mm. of them. Yeah. 
there's never sort of a, a, a happy medium between anything. It's all or nothing. Yeah. Would you agree? I would, yeah. Hmm. I'd say right now, I probably, I would struggle to say what label I would give myself. Mm -hmm. you know, I, for the first time, I, I don't feel I'm trying to be anything yeah. other than just who I am. <laughs> <sighs> that's such a breath of fresh air though, because that, that, that's the whole point. Like, when I first started talking with Ross about labels, it was, it was about, actually, we, you know, we live our lives by all these different mm -hmm. labels. At what point do you start thinking, well, no, I'm going to live life for me, yeah. like just being me. It doesn't matter what me actually is in terms of a label that other people can then yeah. relate to. As long as I am me and I'm true to myself, yeah. then people will either, you know, like it or they won't like it. And yeah, it's, it's, about, it's about finding peace in yourself yeah. and not not living by these labels and stereotypes that other people yeah. put on you. As I say, I know people will see me and label me in various ways, probably. Like, legend. No. <laughs> <Quite> <laughs> legend. Like, I was chatting to one of the new starters last week and I was saying I played golf and this, that and the other. And she's like, oh, you're so athletic. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. But again, just reflecting about what we would maybe talk about today, I was like, that isn't a word somebody probably would have used to describe me at any other point in my life. Right. Even though you did do a lot of different yeah, because physically I didn't look like what somebody probably perceived an athletic person to look like. Right. You know, I was, you know, at one point in my life I played three sports. I played rugby, hockey and cricket. As I played rugby for the northeast of England. I played cricket for the county. But I still was what everyone would deem as overweight. Mm-hmm. So anybody who I spoke to and I said I did all these things probably was like, mm, yeah, but like, really, what, what, what do you do? <laughs> Where now if I tell people the same story, they use different words. Right. So when we pl um, I play a lot of golf. I'm the lady captain of my golf club at the minute. So we, when we play team matches, we go out and play against a person from another club. 99% of the time it's not someone I've ever met before so we spend I don't know three hours together out on the golf course and we chat about all sorts of stuff mm -hmm. and when when we talk and you know we always say oh have you played any other sports and stuff I've even noticed sort of in the last three years how differently they respond when I say oh I used to be a rugby player hockey player cricket player in the past they were always a bit like oh like where now oh yeah you can you know almost like you can tell you used to do all these mm -hmm. things where again I haven't changed I'm still exactly the same person yeah but they now perceive probably what level I played those sports at by what I look like now uh -huh. it's mad because that just goes to show how much labels actually come from what you see mm. of a person sort of like a believability factor yeah. like if you if you look at someone and yeah if you, you can look at someone and say, well, you, you, sort, you look athletic or you, mm. you, know, or you, don't, you don't look the part, sort of there's a lesser level of believability there, yeah. which is absolutely crazy. I mean, that kind of, that kind of goes back to the, the, the whole medical professional where they make decisions based on somebody. Mm. Obviously, they've... At the outset, they've made the decision, you know, they've looked into it all and you've, you've, you've had this IIH 
um, because you've been overweight. But then it couldn't possibly have been you shouldn't be in the issue mm. because you were a normal weight. Yeah. Normal, normal weight. Yeah. And it's all just what someone's physically seen of you. They haven't, they've made that decision yeah. without looking into anything. They didn't even look at you, shouldn't initially, did they? No. They looked I mean, at everything they, but... They did a lumbar puncture and things and the pressure at the time wasn't deemed medically high but the type of shunt I've got, not many people can live with. I've got what the class is a free-flowing LP shunt so it probably has my natural pressure lower than a normal person now right. would have. So what's high for me might not actually be classed as clinically high but... Mm -hmm my body couldn't deal with the pressure I had. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I completely can see on paper why it made no sense. Yeah. And I was cautious at the start because I was a bit like, well, by everything everyone says about weight and stuff, it shouldn't be my shunt. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, I shouldn't still have the condition. Yeah. But when I got discharged by the headache specialist, he said, he said it's highly, highly unusual for someone to have lost the amount of weight you have and still need your shunt, but yeah. you do. Yeah. And that he would learn from that. Well, it's good that he said that he would learn yeah. from that because it just goes to show that there's, you can always learn from, from things and you can't just put a label on it and, and, and assume. Yeah. Especially, I think that's quite a dangerous, a dangerous position to be in really if, you're a, if you are a medical profession, professional and you're making decisions on someone's health based on what they'll look like um, I know my mum had um, a form of bowel cancer and her GP fobbed her off. Um, she did get an apology in the end, but the fobbed her off is, is it was nothing. Um, you know, she was of normal weight. She looked after herself. She ate relatively well. Couldn't possibly have, have been anything untoward. And, and obviously it ended up being, being bowel cancer, which mm. she's, she's clear of. She's overcome that. Um, but it could have been a totally different story it could have been a completely different story because it was, by the time she got the treatment, it was stage four. Yeah. Um, which is obviously the point at where most people start thinking, well, there's a high likelihood I'm not going to come out of this. Yeah. Um, and if it had been a different story, it could have, could have been caught a hell of a lot earlier and potentially not been as, as big, not as big of a deal because obviously it always is. Yeah. Um, but it could have been a, a more straightforward process to, to, to get out of the treatment and, and get us sorted from that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, just from literally a physical perception of someone, oh, you're fine. And then it's how many other labels come out in that kind of environment. Say someone's been going to the, going to the doctors for various different ailments that they've had over the years and, and sort of the doctors decided that that person's a hypochondriac. Mm. And then they get something actually that's quite severe yeah how often how often does that happen how often does that happen where a person gets totally fobbed off as nothing probably quite a lot <laughs> it's scary though isn't it yeah. really definitely maybe maybe there's some medical professionals who might listen to this and think oh i might i might need to check myself every now and again and, and actually do some do some proper checks before i fob someone off <laughs> I'm not saying that they all do it, of course. I mean, they, they must have to deal with quite a lot on a day-to-day -day basis, but... Yeah. That's, suppose, where, that's where human error comes into it, doesn't it? 
and judgment. If a lot of a lot of things come down to human judgment, and if we're whacking labels on everything left, right, and centre, we we stand to make some quite big big mistakes. I mean, I touched on it with, uh, with I had Tom Tom on last week, and um, even just the relationship I have with Tom now could have been totally different if I'd gone off the back of what I originally had him labelled as, which was posh Tom. <laughs> posh Tom wouldn't want to wouldn't want to talk to me, like. Mm. He's up there and I'm down here. It's not going to work. No conversations. Um, but like the relationships that you have with people yeah. are formed off the back of a label and it's just purely judgment and stereotypes a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> Mad. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you one last question. Um, if you were to eradicate completely off the face of the earth a label that either you use or other people use, what label would you like to see gone and why? I think, I don't know if it's a label, but I think it's just the perception that a bigger people are not fit and healthy because that's not true. But equally, that people would then stop using that as a way to justify their being. If you know what I mean, that probably, I don't know if that makes sense exactly, but, you know, I've realised looking back over the years, the only limit there's ever been on what I look like physically is ones I've imposed on myself. Right. My food choices are the reason I was overweight, as I said, the food addiction. That, and I always perceived I could only be a certain kind of person. I could, you know, even when I lost weight down to 12 stone, I'd, I decided that was the smallest I could ever be. Mm -hmm. I'm now two and a half stone less than that again. So that was clearly rubbish. Mm -hmm. But again, because I don't, the label of being overweight or unhealthy was there, you could still use it. Mm -hmm. Where I don't think using weight as a way to determine something. And I think getting rid of a label of what weight has to do with what a person can and can't do it's not exactly a label, but that perception mm -hmm. that your size is the limiting factor. I think that's an important thing to break down. 100%. 100%. It's, it's kind of like a, a limiting belief mm. in yourself in yeah. one sense, but then it's the perception of others as well of that person can't be that because they are overweight. Yeah. Where you can actually be whatever you want to be if you're prepared to make the decisions to, to support who you want to be to change yeah yeah excellent i've thoroughly enjoyed our chat today nikki thank you very much um for joining me um yeah just keep being a legend <laughs> you can keep that label okay. i'm going to make you keep that label and i'm going to remind you of it all the time <laughs> i've got my head around it now so good that's good good well thank you very much thank you